Welcome, Rick Rats, to this Blackhawks Hockey Ringcast Episode 10, exclusively sponsored by the premium hockey outfitters at PuckHockey.com. That's P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y.com. And use that discount code, The Rink, to get 10% off all of your orders. Today is Thursday, January 4th, 2017. And I am Jeff Osborne, better known across the interwebs as Gatekeeper. What's up, jerks? I am joined here by my good friend, co-hosting, fellow grumpy old guy, Mr. John Jaco. Hello, sir. Hey, man. What's going on? And together, we are the most trusted sources at your newest hockey hangout, the-rink.com. Today, we are joined by, first of all, new father, lead hockey writer for The Athletic, and unquestionably the best Hawks beat writer in the biz, Mr. Scott Powers. Hello, sir. Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. After after your uh, travel nightmare today. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's it's all good. <laughs> I yeah, I, I can't complain too much. This job's pretty good, so I I try to keep it to a minimum. But yeah, it was it was a long day, but it was I got home safe and sound, and yeah, it was it's all that really matters. So yeah, I was at my desk this morning, and I uh, saw that your day had started an hour previous to mine, and uh, you were you're taking trains, playing as you said planes, trains, and automobiles to get home. So. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I never went to sleep after the game last night because my train left uh, Penn Station at 3 a.m., so I was too afraid going to sleep. So I got done working around 12.31, and I was like, gosh, should I go to sleep? And I was like, ah, probably probably not best. So, I, yeah, I actually took uh, – the train was from like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. to Baltimore and then caught a flight from there at 9.30 and got home and drove home from Midway. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting night, but yeah, it, it, it was better than the alternative stuff. Although I love New York, it was, it was better than, uh, staying another day in New York and getting stuck in the snow. So yeah, you don't want to do way to get out of there and made it safe and sound home. So yeah, I, yeah, it was a long day, but it was, it was, it was awesome, all man. Well, this is, this is actually a long time coming. Uh, I was going to ask you back when we were doing the shoutcast, but now, uh, now John and I have this nailed down. Uh, we, we wanted to have you on and talk a little, little Blackhawks hockey. So. I think that's uh what we're gonna do tonight so yeah, terrific. <clears throat> there's a distinct possibility of that anyway <laughs> yeah well you know if if jeff glass has anything to say about it, we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh before we get really rolling um i just wanted to also bring up uh we've been kind of pumping this for the last couple of weeks which is the message board features on the website um if you haven't got signed up please go ahead and sign up it's real easy to do you get an email that will uh you'll have to confirm and then you can sign up and you can join the message board. You can join all the talk. And then the reason I bring that up is because we've now started, thanks to John, um, these game threads where uh, people can come and and instead of having to chat on Twitter, you can actually chat on the game threads if you want, or you can do both however you want to do it. But um, you could join into, you know, some really good hockey talk and uh, we're going to, we're going to start doing that for every game. So uh, we we had a really good response last time. I think we had like what over a hundred, replies or something john hundreds yeah well over 100 yeah <laughs> hundreds. that's better uh, than our fives of fans so good uh some old friends some new friends uh you know good dialogue and i i only foresee that uh expanding both in quantity and quality um and it was fun you know yeah. it was just talking about the game in real time with other fans and uh um, so we're going to, we're going to have that up tomorrow night for the, uh, for the game with Vegas and, uh, uh, we'll get that going again. It'll be fun. Awesome. Cool. And, uh, I want to get this kind of out of the way as well. So I don't forget about it later. Um, we've already got guests scheduled probably for at least 
next week and maybe the following week. Um, next week, we're going to actually have from the Goalie Guild, Justin Goldman, who's a goaltending expert. So it's going to be deep dive with uh, Blackhawks goaltending. And what better time than right now to talk about the depth of uh, a lot of the Blackhawks goaltending and uh, stuff like that. So that'll be fun next week, next Thursday, probably. And then at some point in time, uh, we'll probably have from the, some of you who are metal fans may know, may be familiar with the band periphery. Uh, Mark from the band periphery is going to come on with us. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be in a couple weeks because he, there's a, a bit of a time difference, but uh, we'll, we'll see. We're going to have him on soon. So uh, like we had Patrick, you know, thanks to Patrick for coming on last week and, Mark from the band Periphery. We kind of try to meld the metal and hockey uh, backgrounds, uh, and they're both big Blackhawks fans, so we're going to have them on. So uh, that being said, let's kind of get into the Blackhawks here. Um, so the Blackhawks, they went, since we last recorded, they're 2-1-1. One, one. Uh, the great and future Hall of Fame Jeff Glass has joined the mix. <laughs> um, the modern-day Dominic Hasek. Yeah, the modern-day Dominic Hasek, so... Um, but, uh, so we had the game in uh, Vancouver where they lost, then they, uh, won in overtime against Edmonton, lost in overtime against Calgary, and then won in New York, uh, just the other night. So, um, Scotty, what are you seeing, uh, with these, with the Blackhawks? I mean, it's like a, it's like a Jekyll and Hyde. It's every time we record, it's like, (laughs) it's either it's up, it's like, they're never going to make the playoffs. And then the next week it's like, oh, well, we're seeing promise out of them. They're trending upwards and then it's back down again. I mean, what do you think of this that's going on? At least yeah, no, I, I think the record speaks for itself, right? I mean, they, they this has been the pattern all season where it's uh, there's stretches where they look all right and then stretches where they, they don't look all right. So, um, yeah, it's promising last game. You know, I, I think two of their best games of the season were against the Rangers. So um, they obviously match up well against them. Uh, you know, I, I guess there's things to take from the last couple of games where, you know, side and taves are uh, a little bit more efficient in the offensive zone. Um, you know, the fact that uh, Joe Quinville had enough for Richard Panic again, I think that's significant. And he gives Vinny Henestros a chance there. Um, you know, I, I think Schmaltz has played pretty well at center and, and Hartman and Kane are uh, that, that entire line's interesting. And, and the fact that you get, you got, you know, I'm not, I'm not expecting Sharp to produce, uh, you know, as he did that often. But the fact that you got another goal from the third line and, uh, you know, production up and down the lineup and, uh, I think that was significant. I, I don't know how much longer they can ride Jeff Glass like this. He kind of lives a little dangerously out there. And, uh, you know, we had somebody on The Athletic today kind of just talking about whether that's sustainable. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I think the Blackhawks have to feel good about uh, at least a New York win. But uh, it has to become something that's a little bit more of a trend than, uh, you know, saying one game or two games, you know, sod and tapes are back. But you, you need to see it for a little bit longer stretch than you have. Uh, just because it, it, it's been so inconsistent. So uh, I think for me, that before I declare anything about any any individual or any line or, or even the Blackhawks, it, it's something that has to happen uh, yeah, multiple times uh, consecutively. Yeah, I agree. John, what what were you, what, what have you been thinking about these last four games? Uh, I, I, pretty much along the same lines as Scott. I mean, I think, and I think we've talked about this. It's, they really show one of the hallmarks of a young team. And that is the inconsistency. And, you know, I thought Darren Dreger had an interesting comment um, between periods of the broadcast last night when he talked about how apparently Stan Bowman is for now not really actively pursuing trades. He's more in a listening mode. Um, and, um, you know, he's waiting. He, he believes that the pieces are there, but the, the chemistry has just not sort of coalesced yet. 
uh, with the, with this this roster. And I, it sort of seems that's what they're doing, and especially with Quenville kind of rearranging the deck chairs every game or every other game. He's just looking for the right combinations, and um, you know they still have some time before the trade deadline. Um, you know to to sort of see if this thing works as composed. Um, you know, and again, they, they have games or stretches of games where they, they really look quite good. And then they have games or stretches of games where they look quite the opposite of that. And, uh, you know, um, I think, I think they, they, they see those, those stretches of good games and good play, like the last three games, they got five out of a possible six points. I think they, uh, they view that as, you know, this is, this is the potential of this team. I just, I don't know. I think, um, it's, you know. They they clearly match up well with New York, as Scott said, and then you know Calgary's not a great team, um, you know. So we'll see we'll see how they do. And Edmonton's not a great team this year either. So we'll see, you know, how this plays out. Is I mean tomorrow night's going to be a real test because Vegas really pushed them around out in out in Las Vegas when they played, and uh, I think the Hawks were a little surprised by that because I think at that time going into that game they'd been playing pretty well and. And uh, Vegas really, I forget, was that like a five to nothing game or something like that? I, I can't remember the, the score, but. Yeah, I definitely uh, back. I don't know. I think it was four to two or something like that. Yeah, but it was it was one where the Vegas certainly controlled it. And yeah. uh, they, they just, they come after you and they play aggressive. And uh, and Vegas has been a different team at home in a way. So I'm curious, too, to see if it's, it's the same sort of game or uh, Vegas. Uh, you know, the reality of what we thought Vegas would be is usually uh, happens more on the road than, than at home. So. Uh, I, I wonder if, you know, the Blackhawks coming home, not having been home for, uh, you know, nearly, what, uh, half a month here. It's It's been a while. If all those things, the factors that they're playing well coming off a win, that uh, maybe this is, uh, you know, a game that the Blackhawks, you know, they play well and, and play Vegas better. Because, yeah, the first time they when they met them in Vegas, it was, uh, yeah, I think what you've seen with Vegas, a lot of teams where they just uh, – they've caught them with, uh, you know, different ways and just playing aggressively and finding ways to score. And uh, it's the Vegas has been such an interesting story, but certainly a better team at home than away. Yeah. They've been like night and day, almost how the Blackhawks are week to week where they've, you know, the, they, they seem mortal on the road. The, the Vegas golden Knights seem mortal on the road, but when they're at home, it's like they're unstoppable. So uh, I'm glad you actually brought up Jeff glass because we'd be remiss if we didn't, bring up Jeff Glass based on what's going on. And now everyone's, you know, out of their minds with Jeff Glass, you know, all of a sudden he's the next coming of, uh, you know, Dominic Hasek or Tim Thomas. And, uh, you know, if you look at it with, you know, your critical eye and anyone who's watched this team for, you know, a long period of time or any hockey for a long period of time, you realize that Jeff Glass is what he is. He's a 32 year old journeyman goaltender who spent a lot of time overseas and a lot of time in the minor leagues, and uh, you know he's he's just he's 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 been in the right place at the right time. But uh, his defense has helped him out a lot. He's got a, got the help of some posts, and uh, you know he gets out of position, which the Blackhawks sometimes have a lot of problems with goaltenders to get out of position, which is why they love Corey Crawford so much. And uh, you know it's it's going to come back crashing down to earth. Uh, soon you know he's he's, he's not going to continue with this forever but for right now i think joe quenville is using jeff glass as a tool to to get some momentum with this team uh it's a feel-good story everyone wants to win for glasser and uh you know it's kind of coming at a good time when things were trending down and things were not looking well 
So that's kind of how I, I, I look at this, this Jeff Glass thing. I mean, just use him for what he is for right now. And if you want to ride him for a little while while Crawford's out, then sure, why not? You know, if you can get some points out of it. Well, I, I think, yeah, I, I ultimately they need Forsberg to get back in net and uh, find his confidence and be that goalie. And I, I think he's the more technical, sound goalie and, and certainly the one they uh, have more uh, just a future plan with him where, you know, they're obviously expecting him to be the number two for a few years here at least. And um, so, yeah, I think this is a feel good story and, and glasses, you know, just credit. He, he has stopped enough pucks and uh, the Blackhawks have played well enough to, to kind of clean up some of his messes. And, um, you know, that they have, you know, he's given a chance in every game and the fact the offense has come around, it certainly benefited him and the Blackhawks. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I'd be surprised if, uh, you know, he wasn't in net, uh, you know, come come tomorrow. And then, you know, as long as they're winning, he stays in net. But I, I think, again, I mean, if Crawford's healthy, I think I think Glass is the one who probably goes down because they're not going to, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to try to just risk losing Forsberg on waivers and that sort of thing. So I, I think that's the bigger picture is that uh, this is all in good, but they need Forsberg to get right and, and be reliable. Um, you know, especially if Crawford, I mean, this is twice now where he's been out of, uh, you know, out of commission that they need, they need someone that it's been reliable as they've had in the past. And that would spend such a, a key factor of them making the playoffs and being successful in the last, uh, you know, even dating back to Ray Emery, that having that number two goalie has been uh, such a key part to their success in recent years. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Go ahead, John. No, I was just saying, I, I completely agree. And I think that, uh, I think, yeah, they, they, you know, got Forsberg in that deal with Columbus for a reason. Um, and uh, I think they, yes, they do. They do need him to step up and play like they clearly think he's capable of. And I do agree that he is the more well-schooled, technically sound goaltender. And, um, you know, like, again, a hallmark of a young player and especially a young player in the NHL, it's that consistency that they're looking for, I think. And, um, you know, nothing seems to get, a goaltender in the doghouse with, with Joel Quenville more than a lack of consistency. And uh, so, um, yeah, I think I agree. I think that's the, the Forsberg is the guy that they want to have around as ultimately long-term as Crawford's backup and, and glass is a feel good story, but uh, that's probably how it'll play out. Assuming Forsberg next time he gets in um, plays well. Going forward. And John was saying there, it's, I mean, it was kind of hard where you, they've kind of anointed Forsberg where, uh, they saw the potential in what he did in the A, you know, with Columbus and uh, I, I guess how well the, he had been and he was kind of ready for that next step. But there was no guarantee that he was going to step into, uh, you know, especially stepping into the number two spot where you're not playing that consistently. I think it's a difficult, uh, you know, I mean, for someone who doesn't have a lot of NHL reps and then, uh, you know, he's playing, he's starting a lot in the American league. And then you ask him to be a number two where, uh, you know, you're playing against NHL, NHL competition, but then rarely playing too. So, uh, to have an inexperienced goalie step in there, it, it's, um, you know, what Scott Darling did or they, that just, it, it's not that common. So I, I think the Blackhawks, uh, there was a bit of risk factor in trading for Forsberg and making him the number number two. And obviously they brought in Barube too, just uh, as, as insurance. But uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, like, like John said, there's that youth and inexperience. And these are some of those, uh, those growing pains you'll have with that, whether it's the, you know, the goalie, the defense, or even, you know, the forwards. Yeah. I, I mean, with the young goalies and young players, I mean, I, I, I I've been always kind of critical with, uh, Joe Quenville when it comes to young players 
not necessarily the young goalies because there haven't been a whole lot of young goalies, but young players where they give them such a short leash. And I think uh, it kind of hurts their, their development uh, by, you know, yanking them off and healthy scratching them or, or with Forsberg, you know, this was kind of his, you know, it, it was kind of assumed that once Crawford went down, it was his net and he, and they lost to Vancouver, but I, I don't know that it was necessarily Forsberg's fault that they lost. Uh, you know, for him to, you know, then then Glass comes in for Edmonton, Calgary, and, and New York, and he's played pretty well, but I, I don't think it's it's anything that uh, Forsberg maybe couldn't have done. Um, so I agree. I mean, Forsberg's had a few very good games this year, and uh, I mean, outstanding games, and um. But, you know, I mean, it's like anything else. Um, Dar- you know, Darling had, <laughs> gained, as you and I well know, Darling gained a lot of popularity with a lot of the rank and file of the fan base. And, um, you know, Forsberg is the great unknown. Nobody really, most people in Chicago really had never heard of him before that trade. And um, I'd had the opportunity to see him play some um, with Cleveland in the AHL the prior year. And, and I, I have to say this, I saw Jonas Corposalo get absolutely shelled the other night by uh, Tampa Bay. And um, when the Hawks played uh, Columbus in the preseason, I was at that game and Corpus was shelled again. And I mean, I remember, you know, remarking to my wife who was sitting next to me, I said, I think the Hawks got the better of Columbus's backups. Um, so I, I think, and I, Scott, you said something I, I, that I've kind of touched on in the past. And I agree that I think Forsberg's one of those goalies who's, who's better playing regularly. Um, you know, he gets in a groove and his, his technique gets nice and sound and solid and he gains that confidence. I think he's really adjusting and perhaps struggling with this backup, you know, and, and the amount of reps that a backup goalie gets. Um, so but he's going to have to adjust to it because Corey Crawford's the number one and, and it's going to be. Yeah, and I remember talking to Scott Darling about this uh, before, too, when he kind of went through that, too, where he. Uh, you know, you're so used to, especially at lower levels, you're getting all the starts. Um, and, and then, you know, he got promoted. Uh, and at first it was, you know, he gets called up and he, I think it was when Crawford was hurt and he ends up, ends up playing a lot. But then uh, the next year he's, you know, dominantly the number two goalie. And that was kind of just uh, a learning curve for him because most levels you're not, uh, you're not the number two, you know. I mean, usually you're the number one goalie when you're, you're a, uh, you know, high-end, talented goalie, and it's not until the NHL where you're often asked to be the number two guy. So I, I think a lot of guys, it, it, it's a learning curve with that. And, um, you know, uh, I think not that it's the Blackhawks want it, but the fact that Crawford does get hurt, it, it um, there's an expectation, and it allows like, some of these goalies to get in a groove, and it's given Forsberg some extra starts and opportunities. And um, it was just one of those things where, the, yeah, the Vancouver game probably wasn't his fault. Um, I think they just wanted to give Glass a look, and the fact that they are a little bit desperate in the the win loss column that it was you're going to ride whatever is the hot hand. Um, but I, yeah, I I think at some point you know if Crawford doesn't come back, I mean they're going to figure out a way to get Forsberg back in there, and uh, it, it's important, like we said, to get him going again. Right, for sure. Now, kind of circling around and, and uh, kind of in the same uh, the same vein here, um, the Corey Crawford injury. Um, the Blackhawks have been extremely tight lipped about it. Uh, I don't know, uh, John, I mean, you and I have, have, have seen whispers of, you know, it could have been an off ice thing. Uh, is, are you hearing anything about it, Scott? 
Yeah, no, it's been, you know, I, I didn't go on the uh, the West uh, West Coast trip to, to Canada, so I wasn't around the team that often, and then just joined them in New York. But yeah, it's you know from other sources and things, it's it's really been quiet. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious when he comes back, what what he has to say. He's usually not too open about those things, but uh, you know the fact the last time we saw him on the ice, uh, he he appeared fine and. Um, you know, it's, uh, I haven't heard it, it being related to his past injury. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's really kind of, it's a bit of a mystery. Um, yeah, I, you know, I haven't really heard anything about it. Uh, yeah, it's, it just whispers from our end that we're, you know, we heard something that was something off ice, but, uh, who know, who knows if that's even true. So. Yeah. You know, and I, sometimes I think that especially when there's, it seems like it's a phantom injury with a guy like Crawford who, you know, and all the the stories that erupted around the, the concert injury a couple of years back, maybe people start connecting dots that aren't there. I, I don't know. I mean, I do remember when he took that that injury that had him out for a few games a little while back. I remember I remember thinking at the time it looked like he was gonna be out for a while. And then I think he was back within two, three games. Who knows? Maybe maybe he just re-injured the same thing. You know, um, I, did they did they qualify it as upper body or lower body? Upper body. Well, then I think the other one was lower body, so maybe not. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. No, they said it was upper body, and uh, the thing that was kind of scary about it was that Quenville stated uh, that they weren't even going to know what his timetable was until they got him back out on the ice, and he's not been on the ice yet, as far as I know. So. That's where it kind of leads you, or, you know, kind of makes you worry a little bit that, uh, you know, who knows where they go from there. So, yeah, hopefully tomorrow we get a better, uh, better idea or, uh, you know, the fact that they've been on the road, the communication isn't always as open and he's not, you know, Quinville's not around the ring. So maybe uh, they're back in Chicago. We'll have a better sense of where that is. Uh, but as of, I, I think we asked after the practice in New York a couple of days ago, and he, he had no update on Anisimov or, um, or uh, Crawford. And what I had heard about Anisimov at least was uh, it wasn't a long-term thing, but certainly a more of a week-to-week thing. So um, there wasn't an exact timetable for him coming back either. Or, um, you know, it, it sounds more like a back injury with him from what I had heard. And so I, I think they're being a little cautious with that. And, um yeah, but uh, yeah, it's at least there, there's I think a little bit more of a timetable with the understanding of Nisimov. Uh, they expect him back within, you know, I expect him back within this month. Where where Crawford, it's still, uh, yeah, I haven't heard anything definitive. Yeah, if and if he's out, you know, for longer than this month, then that that gets that starts to get you scary because where they where they sit at in the standings right now, oh. uh, they have to gain some ground, and uh, it's gonna be hard to gain ground when you're playing your fourth string goaltender and uh you know for the you know at least for the foreseeable future until a uh, forsberg gets back in there but uh that kind of uh, when crawford's been carrying them most of the season that scares me a little bit so so kind of yeah, kind of uh, no go ahead no i was gonna say with good reason i mean it, it's very hard to envision a path to the playoffs for this team with crawford being out for a month or more yeah, yeah. Really hard. Yeah. So as far as the games go, I mean, we, we can really concentrate on the last two, which is Calgary and uh, New York. You, you know, they uh, both of those games, uh, the Blackhawks seem to be throwing a lot of shots on net, which is not a bad thing. I mean, I don't know that the quality of shots were, were necessarily great, but they've been getting shots on net. 
the problems has have been uh, the power play, of course. They can't seem to figure out anything on the power play, which is frustrating. And I don't think with the way that, you know, it, they're playing 50-50 where you don't know what you're going to get game in and game out. They, they need to start, uh, you know, scoring some power play goals if they want to win these one-goal games and these close games going down the stretch because uh, they need to play better than just, you know, 50 or 500 hockey at this point in time. So, but... Uh, you know, I, I thought the power play has been a little bit more interesting, at least with the way that at least that first unit is with, uh, you know, Schmaltz kind of filling that the hole in the slot there, and it kind of gives Kane a new option, and um, you know, the fact he threw Debrinket on there, and it, the, the first unit it seems so much more uh, uh, potent than the second one with you know Hinnestros and Saad, and um, but then the fact that you, I, I think Osterley's going to give and given the power play unit also kind of a new element too, where he, uh, he's actually a guy that you can score some goals in the power play, and you haven't seen a whole lot of that this year with, with Keith and Seabrook really not being able to do that. So I think Osterley's kind of opened things up at least, um, and the fact that Schmaltz kind of filled that hole, you know, knee off a little bit uh, around the net, and given uh, I think just given Kane another option too, where, where a Nismov so kind of limited what he does around the net, where he you know he's looking for tip-ins or just kind of rebounds. And I, I think Schmaltz kind of gives you at least a shooting option and, uh, you know, even getting the puck in there and maybe create, able to create a little bit off that too. So, um, yeah, I still the numbers aren't great, but I, I guess if you're looking for anything with uh, with this team that there's uh, – I feel like there's a little bit of uh, momentum there where, where it's looked a little bit better as of late than it maybe did a stretch before that. Yeah. I would agree with that. And I think, that some you know, somebody else remarked that to me too that, it looks like they have a slightly different scheme having that player in the slot now that, that they haven't had in the past. And, uh, you know, that's a scheme that some other teams use. And I'm trying to remember, there's another team I saw recently that does that and, and they do it really effectively. Um, I, I, I think that's good because, um, you know, what they've been doing this year, and honestly, it's not terribly different than past years where they just sort of move the puck around the perimeter. The players don't really move. And it becomes really, really predictable. I mean, last year was better. The last couple of years, because they, you know, once they got the puck across to Panarin, if if, if with any speed on the puck, he had a really good shot, and and you know, and a good shot to get a goal. Um, but they don't have that this year, and so I feel like varying up the scheme certainly helps. Um, you know, Franson. You know, one of the the things that he does well is uh, is playing the point on the power play. Osterley, I agree. He had something as well. Um, it has looked better lately. They just they got to get some consistency now, and um, you know, over over several games, and start to to really click on the power play because it's really hard to imagine again a team. I mean, everybody points out the exceptions to the rule, but but really, generally speaking, teams without a at least a threat on the power play don't go far in the playoffs if they get there. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, so. Uh, the New York game, uh, while the score, if you look at it from the outside, you know, five, two, it looks like, you know, the Blackhawks slaughtered them, but you, you also have to take into account there were two empty net goals at the end of the game. And the game was a really a three, two game, uh, other than those, those two empty net goals. But, um, you know, uh, some takeaways from that game were, you know, the Blackhawks took six penalties and, uh, that's, you know, that can't continue to happen either. Because if you're going to face teams with decent power plays, 
or consistent power plays, I should say, uh, you're going to, you're going to give up a lot more chances than you did against New York. So, um, but you know, on the plus side, you have, you know, goals by Henestrosa and Schmaltz and Sharp, which is nice to see Sharp getting, getting going. He's going to have to do it, you know, for a longer period than just one game, but you know, it was, you know, a nice, a nice rush down the ice on the wing. Uh, he beat Lundqvist pretty cleanly and, uh, so that was good. Hennestros are playing with that first line. That was promising, but again, you have to you have to do it more than one just one game. So uh, you know he's gonna have to do it consistently if that's where he's gonna stay. And uh, what I do, uh, what I also pointed out in my recap was that uh, th- uh, this game seemed to be like the first time that Schmaltz has actually looked like he did beginning the season uh, at center. Uh, he got hurt. He never really came back and looked comfortable at center. Anisimov kind of retook uh, that spot. Uh, Schmaltz kind of got stuck on the wing, and now that he's been forced back to center, he actually looks like more like that player that we saw in the preseason and in the first few games. Uh, what do you think, Scott? Yeah, and no, I, I thought Schmaltz this, this recent stretch here. I think he's got ten points in the last ten games, and uh, you know a couple of multiple point games. And uh, you know when he's he's using his speed and getting the net. He you know against New York, he beat some defenders and got to the net and creating some things. And, he, and he's creative and he holds on to the puck. And uh, the fact that he has chemistry with Kane and uh, even even Hartman. You know the fact that Hartman, Schmaltz, and Kane. You know this summer and for a week they went to go work out with Joe Belfry out in Florida and. You know, and worked on some ideas of how to be creative, and I think there's a lot of chemistry between those guys on and off the ice. And um, you know, that line, if Schmaltz is winning faceoffs, and, and you know, if he's uh, if he's reliable defensively, you know, low in the zone, and you know, if those things are working, you know, he, he's so good on the forecheck, and and his, when he's using his speed in different ways, I, you know, I think Schmaltz is. Um, yeah, I, I think we're just seeing kind of the tip of the iceberg with him. Where I, I think he can be a real difference maker in this league, and and, he, and he's learning more to be confident. And I think that injury set him back a little bit. Where I don't know if it just he, he seemed reluctant to do some of those things that he was doing early in the season. Because I thought coming out of the preseason, you know, him and Sada were the most impressive players. Where you thought, wow, these guys are going to take that next step. And um, and Schmaltz got hurt so early on and just wasn't that same player. And then here here in the last month, he, he's really kind of brought it back and. Um, I think, you know, it's it's really kind of fed into Kane's game, too. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know, Schmaltz has been, you know, in my eyes, you know, like you said, especially last game, just just really aggressive. And, um, you know, when he wants to be, he can be dominant. Yeah, I, I, the way I saw Schmaltz, he was, uh, you know, he, he was dangerous before. I mean, he could always uh, hurt you. But uh, the last couple of games, he's just been he's been a threat. He's been a legitimate threat where he's blowing by defenders and he's making plays on his own. And, you know, we still want to see him shoot more. Everyone does because he does have a good shot and uh, he tends to defer more than probably any of us would like him to. But uh, for the most part, uh, you know, he's becoming that guy, uh, which is a good problem to have if you, you know, when Anisimov comes back, you know, where do you put him? Uh, I guess that's, again, a good problem to have. Yeah, I think what what he does is transferable between center and wing. I mean, he's not, um, you know, where he's really, I think, distinguished himself is, is using his speed outside. So he can do that at wing just as easily as he can do it at center. I mean, um, he's not a guy who's ever, who's going to be really dominant in the faceoff dot. So I think they can move him back out to, to left wing and, and not really lose a lot um, as far as that goes. Um, 
Although it's interesting, I think those first couple of games of the year when he was really uh, outstanding, he was he was playing center then too. So maybe it is a psychological thing for him. I don't know. A couple other guys I thought played really well last night. I mean, as well as I've seen them play all year um, were Jonathan Taves and Duncan Keith. And Keith was really had a lot of jump last night. Um, and he was making a lot of plays with the puck on his blade um, that I haven't seen him do in, in a while. And um, that those two things, I think, are really encouraging for the, for this team. If Keith and Taves are starting to pick it up now a little bit. And I, I also think, too, that what they're doing with David Camp and using him a lot more in the penalty kill um, is going to only help Taves because – um, I, I pointed out in, in a blog I wrote last week that, you know, when Taves time on the penalty kill goes up the last few years, his overall productivity goes down from an offensive standpoint. So I think camp <clears throat> being somebody who can take those defensive zone draws on the penalty kill and, uh, chew up some of that penalty kill time and absolve Taves of some of that, it's, it's only going to help him five on five and on the power play. Um, and it's those two guys I thought were outstanding last night, along with Schmaltz. I thought they were all really good last night. What's interesting is that actually Kampf might be more of an ideal fourth-line center, even where you have Tommy Wingles, who, who yes. isn't a center and, and has been asked to play it all year. Right. And, uh, the fact that his face-offs aren't that good. And uh, Quinville's fallen in love with that Boma-Wingles-Hayden line. But, uh, you know, if Schmaltz is excelling as a center, and I think that line's faster and, and allows them more creativity when Hanisimov's off of it. I just Hanisimov's, he does things well. It just, I, I don't know if it always works and opens things up. Um, and if Cam's playing as well as he is, and especially winning face-offs, um, yeah, I'm curious if they explore that too, because I think, uh, you know, on the surface, Cam would be the one that goes down um, if those are the options, you know, but if, if uh, you know, if, if he's winning faceoffs and that's been an issue out of his team this year outside of Taves and he, and he is taking defensive faceoffs and, and playing on the penalty kill, uh, maybe he earns himself a spot on this team when they are healthy. I just, I, I'm curious what they do because I don't think they want to send panic down and, uh, you, you know, I, I, there's not, there aren't many options, especially if Hennis Strohs is playing well. Uh, someone's got to end up going down and I, I don't know who that is and, Camp is the one that makes sense, but um, you know if he's part of the reason why you're winning, then maybe it makes sense to figure something else out. Yeah, I liked what I saw Camp in the uh, preseason. He looked like one of the be- you know better young players, but uh, at that point in time, it just didn't look like there was a spot for him. Uh, maybe he's kind of now playing himself into that lineup, so which is again a good problem to have. Well, he's the the thing is again he's he's not a guy I think who's going to win himself a spot based upon points he's putting on the board. But if he, if he's doing those, those little things or those sort of more um, unsung things like penalty killing and, and taking, taking draws on the penalty kill and defensive zone draws. Um, and, you know, I think he's been around 50%, which on the Hawks is outstanding um, yeah. Yeah, outside of tapes. <laughs> and uh, I think if, so if he, if he does those things, yeah, I think Quenville is going to going to have a real difficult decision about sending him down because um, my belief has been for a while now, and it's it's only grown of late that if um, if it's not camp, they're going to have to, and, and and they're really serious about getting in the playoffs and going somewhere. I think they've got to add some center depth because you're right, Scott. Tommy Wingles, who I I I think he's a great kid and I think he's a pretty good player, but he's really not a center, and. Um, I, and Isimov, historically, he's been pretty good this year, but historically, 
He's been really bad in the dot, and Schmaltz really struggles there too. And Taves can't take every faceoff in every situation, especially not in big games. He can't do it. Right, right. And the other thing is that eventually they're gonna they're gonna find a spot for uh, Dylan Sequeira, and I'm curious how that plays out too. Where uh, they're gonna find they're gonna force him into the lineup, and whether he stays in there will be kind of be up to how he plays. But uh, the Blackhawks are gonna bend over backwards to make sure that he signs if he's. Uh, you know, Northeastern season ends soon enough that, uh, you know, just as they did last year, John Hayden, and it was a little bit easier last year where they were you know, comfortably uh, in the playoffs. But uh, I'm curious to see how that plays out, too, and how they figure out a way into, you know, to get him some angel games and um, open up. Uh, open. I mean, we're still talking a couple months away and, and, and certain things can play out differently by them. But um, I, I think that's somewhere it's got to be on the Blackhawks radar, too, is to figuring out how do we get a, a forward spot open that he at least gets an opportunity? Um, and maybe it's, it's healthy scratching someone again, but it, it's, it's a numbers game too. So um, I, I'm, I guess I'm curious how that plays out as well. Yeah. John and I have kind of uh, tongue in cheek been, uh, you know, joking about that. The, the Dylan Sakura, uh, Stan Bowman saying that Dylan Sakura was going to be their trade deadline acquisition, which was met with eye rolls from this end because. Um, yeah. And no, I think a lot of it, service now a little bit I, I think he has to say certain things I mean you want to make this kid right. happy and you want him you know I talked to uh, Dylan today uh, for a story tomorrow just about his experience at a Spangler Cup and um, you know getting a chance to play against some smaller players and you know playing for Canada um, but I, I think at this point the Blackhawks are constantly trying to sell uh, sell him on you know I mean he, he could walk and there'll be 30 teams that want to line up and sign him he, he's been that good um, you know, in the last couple of years, and you know, he, he looks like he has a chance in the NHL. So, um, I, I think the Blackhawks, you know, signing his brother to an AHL deal, uh, saying that he's going to be a trade deadline acquisition, uh, all those things kind of you add them up that they're, you know, they're just they're they're trying to position themselves as best as they can and make him happy. So when his season does come, that uh, that he does sign and doesn't go that free agency route. Yeah, it's kind of funny how they treat his brother real well. Like uh, they don't want to mishandle like the Hayes situation. When that happened. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, um, well, you know, I guess that's enough talking about that stuff right now. Um, yeah, as far as like the defense goes though, um, you know, we, we've kind of, it, it's been consistent, pretty consistent this year with the, the surprises with Jan Ruda. Now Jordan Osterle, uh, you know, Ketney has not been terrible. Franzen's been better than, uh, a lot of people expected him to be. So now they're stuck with eight defensemen. Um, you know, going forward, uh, you know, Ruta hasn't even really been back in the lineup yet. And then you got Forsling in there as well. Um, I don't know. Uh, what do you what do you guys think about, uh, you know, what they're going to go with as far as the at least their top six defense been going on? I know they're going to have to spell people, but uh, what do you think once everyone's healthy? Where, where, where are we going to go with this defense core? You want to jump on that one, Scott? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think at some point they, they try to move Kempney. I, I think, uh, uh, you know, I think his people have requested that. And I, I um, you know, if they can fit him into some sort of trade, because I think at some point Stan Bowman does use utilize the money they have and they make a deal and, and maybe he's a throw-in. Um, you know, I, I think he's expendable. Um you, you know, I, I'm curious to see how this plays out. Where th- th- There's certainly these defensemen are, you know, you, uh, there's some inconsistencies there, and Jordan Orsley's playing really well right now, and uh, you know Forsling just being a healthy scratch. And I think they like to get Jan Ruda in because uh, he was, you know, him and Forsling were were 
doing at least a decent job there for a stretch. It's kind of the, the shutdown pair. And, um, yeah, I mean, this is the problem with having eight defensemen, too, and, and probably only having you have one elite defenseman and, uh, and Duncan Keith and a lot of guys who are interchangeable uh, that, you know, when someone's not playing well, another guy comes in the lineup and, yeah. uh, you you know, you're playing these musical chairs, as kind of you suggested with, with some of the other lineups. So I, I think, you know, the positive is you have eight guys you can turn to, but the negative is that you're all constantly, I think, looking for the right guys and they just may not be there where you have some, some decent defensemen and guys who can play well in stretches. But, um, you know, when you look at what the Blackhawks have had in the past, it's just, it's not, uh, this isn't Odui and Jarmelson or, um, you know, and obviously Seabrook's game isn't the same as it once was. And, uh, you know, I think Duncan Keith's playing at a high level still, but I think across the board, you don't have uh, at least that top four. Uh, you have a lot of nice defensemen and some guys that can play well and certainly guys that can play in a third pairing. But, um, you know, I, I, uh, it just it doesn't seem like it adds up to like it once did, and I think when you see a lot of the shots against, that's that's the problem because as much as they kind of rotate these eight defensemen, you you're often uh, getting the same results. So I, I don't know how this plays out because they are kind of married and they do like Osterley and they certainly like Ruda and uh, a lot of these guys they brought in, but I don't know how much they better they make them on a you know kind of a larger span. Yeah, it's interesting what you bring up about Kempney because I heard and reported on our site a couple of weeks ago that he was uh, being included in some talks with Ottawa uh, where the Hawks would throw in a, uh, a, a defenseman from Rockford and for uh, an unnamed um, roster player from Ottawa. And that, that was all I heard. And that's all I've heard of it since, but it kind of doesn't surprise me that, um, you know, his, his people want him, want him out of Chicago. And, you know, cause the thing about Kemney and I've said this is that, he has a lot of natural physical ability. He's a, he's a pretty exceptional athlete. He's just, you know, just maddeningly inconsistent. Um, and I think a, a team that's, that's kind of in more of a rebuild mode um, that, you know, doesn't have the pressure to win right away or re- win right now, like the Hawks, for example, do a team that's more in a rebuild mode could, could take a chance on a guy like Kempney that and give him a lot of ice time, um, to work through sort of, you know, that inconsistency. Um, and cause you know, f- from the Hawks standpoint, going eight deep at defense is great. If you're the 2010 team or the 2013 or the 2015 team where, you know, you're going to be making a long run in the playoffs and, you know, going seven, eight deep in, in NHL defensemen is almost a requirement going into the playoffs. Um, but, um, you know, with this team, you don't even know if you're getting in the playoffs and, there are holes. I mean, there's a hole at depth center. Um, they're probably not as strong on left wing um, as they could be. Um, so, so those are all, you know, things that, uh, that they, that they could address through a trade. Um, and probably it would come out of that, that um, depth defense and most likely Kempney. Um, You know, the one guy that we haven't really talked about who really, I think quietly has gotten um, into uh, Joel Quenville's good graces is Connor Murphy. Um, you know, he's been playing his offside, which is, you know, really hard for a defenseman actually all year. And to, to my eye, he keeps getting better game after game. I mean, he's not going to, he's not a guy who's going to, you know, take everybody's breath away like Forsling coming up the ice with the puck. He's, he's really more of, of a guy who's going to make his better plays from the red line into his net. Um, but it just it just seems like more and more he's making those smart little plays and becoming you know a defenseman they can rely on. Now 
you know, is he, uh, you know, a, a top four defenseman on every team? Hard to say, but, you know, he's, he's giving them what they need and playing with Seabrook and, and Seabrook's playing a little better too. So there seems to be some, some chemistry there as well. So, um, you know, it's just, it's kind of remarkable. Osterley is doing so well playing with, with Keith, um, you know, we'll have to see how that goes long-term. Um, but I, I also believe that a lot of guys look better playing with Keith. I mean, David Runblatt looked better playing with Keith. So we'll yeah. see how that goes. Yeah, yeah I'm glad you yeah, brought I up Connor. Osterley has some of that. I mean, Runblad uh, was very one, one-dimensional. one I, I think Osterley has at least some other skills. And yeah. uh, the fact that he has a decent shot and he can yep. skate. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Connor Murphy's looked through, you know, um, Cody Francis looked really good with, with Keith this year, too. And um, But, I, I yeah, I think Osterley... He has enough dimension there that it's it's not exactly right like Runblad and uh, you know he's not a perfect defenseman but he may be just ideal situation there especially if uh, you know a lot of Connor Murphy's credit was I mean this was a difficult situation you come in and you're anointed uh, Nicholas Jarmelson and uh, and then Quinville you know didn't like him he he didn't think he was dependable enough and he wasn't playing the way they liked and they held he scratched him you know multiple times early and uh, you know a lot of things I heard about him was that uh, Connor's really sensitive and this wasn't going to go over well and you know this this had a way of backfiring and uh, you know and then they asked him to play the left side and um, you know, I, I think he saw more of a third pairing with, with Seabrook at times. And they asked him all these different things this year, and, and he's adapted and rolled with it. And, um, you know, last night I, I think New York tried to match him and, and Seabrook up with, you know, more of their top line, and they did a good job and held their own. And, um, yeah, I think it's really to Connor Murphy's credit that he's made this work and adapted and, and done whatever they've asked. And, and you know, he's, he's had to change his game a little bit and in you know, the way that Arizona played and the way that they were – uh, you know, probably just having to force to get the puck out often that he's kind of learned to have that, you know, hold on the puck a little bit longer and, and look at some different things the Blackhawks do. So I, I think, again, that's it's a lot of credit the way that he's uh, just adjusted and, and kind of fit into what, what Quinville and, and what they want with the Blackhawks. Yeah, I mean, John, I'm glad you brought up Connor Murphy because I was going to do that as well. Um, it seems like, you know, multiple podcasts now that we've kind of said, you know, if you don't really hear Connor Murphy's name, that's a good thing because that means he's doing his job and he's just quietly, you know, not making himself seen, not making mistakes. And he, you know, he's doing what he needs to do. So uh, that's clearly what he's been doing. And last night, I mean, you know, uh, Brent Seabrook uh, tripped over his own feet and Connor Murphy was there to bail him out. I mean, It began. Yeah, it could have been bad if, uh, if Murphy wasn't there because it could have been one of those bad highlights where, uh, yeah, it could have looked really bad if, if they scored on there because Seabrook he had a couple and he he has those at times where he just he uh, he's kind of caught his own feet and and he's he's made it look bad and Murphy bailed him out yesterday with a big block. Yeah, and at the beginning of the season you might not have seen something like that, but now you know he's kind of settling in, he's calming down, he's I think he's maybe comfortable and he's a little more confident. So now, now you're seeing that out of him. So that's really good. I mean, that's a good sign for Blackhawks fans, especially. Yeah, with, I, I think when a when it's a defenseman, especially, gets in in that sort of spotlight of of you know a glaring spotlight of ill will from from Coinville, it's a hard thing to get to get out of. I mean, a Trevor Daly, case in point, and um, you know that that Murphy has just you know buckled down and. Um, adapted and 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 that's a really good. You really said it well, Scott. I mean, he seems to really have adapted to the Hawks system and how they expect to play. And and 
he really seemed like he was feeling his way at first and, and not doing particularly well with it. But um, I just, yeah, every time I watch him, he seems, he seems to, to stand, stand out more and more. The other thing is, and I've said this in the past, is he brings that dimension that a lot of Hawk defensemen, most Hawk defensemen for several years have not. And that is, you know, if a guy comes across the blue line with his head down or, you know, looking for the the really fancy play and he's not aware, he's going to get flattened if Murphy's out there. And uh, that's that's only a good thing in terms of, you know, slowing teams down, coming into your zone and, and just making them think twice. And as long as he's not running around getting out of position doing it, and it doesn't seem that it bothers the coaching staff at all. Yeah, I think at the beginning of the season, he was running around more trying to prove a point. Yeah. He was getting yeah. out of position a lot. And I think that's where Joel Quenville was souring on him a lot. Um, yeah. But now that he's kind of settled down, he's he's picking his places better, and now he's playing a little better positionally. I think uh, he's you know earning the good the good graces of of uh, yeah. Coach Q back once again, yeah. which is good to, good good for everybody. So, well, I don't want to belabor too much on on the the lineup. Um, Scotty, I think you were spending a, a lot uh, some time with the World Juniors. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I was, out, I was out in Buffalo for a couple of days. Uh, I got to see all the Blackhawks prospects. I saw the Russians play uh, play twice, and everyone else once. Uh, and then watching, you know, watching it on TV a little bit. And um, yeah, I, I was most curious to see the Russians. You know, I just you, you don't get to see them much on uh, uh, on video, and obviously opportunities to watch them live are, are, are rare, especially since they those guys haven't been in prospect camps since they've been drafted. So, um, and, and you know, Kaimov was was especially impressive. Where uh, you knew that the Blackhawks were high on him, drafting you know him, uh, Chris, and Debrinket in in the second round two years ago, and he, it's, it's been quiet since then. We're just uh, you know he played in the lower level uh, in Russia last year in the MHL, and then this year got promoted more to the KHL. But it's, you know he said he's played like four or five minutes on a lot of nights, and uh, production really hasn't been there. And then he broke his collarbone, and so. Um, you know, against his peer group, he, he was really good. You know, I think he had three goals and a couple assists. And, you know, he, he has some speed. He skates with a puck, a bit of a playmaker. And um, it's, uh, you know, the fact he's still 19 years old, you got some time. And, it, you know, talking to him through an interpreter. And I talked to his agent recently, too, that it sounds like they're open to coming over in a couple of years and, you know, maybe spending some time in the American League with uh, uh, some of the Russian guys. They, they, you know, they don't want to come over until they're in the NHL sort of deal. So, um, yeah, I, I think the fact that he has an agent, it's the same agent as an Isimov, too, that uh, it kind of knows uh, how it works here and, you know, knows it might be better for him to come over here and get some ice time. But um, And then uh, Andre Alte, uh, I can't pronounce his last name Alte really Bimarkin. well. Yeah. Alte Bimarkin, Bimarkin, yeah, so. um, <laughs> Andre is the easier way to say. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, he he was good too, and he had a goal uh, goal in the quarterfinals the other day. And uh, you know he's a little bit more of a shooter, and uh, you know the fact that he played for uh, you know he plays for one of the better teams in the KHL, plays for the best team in the KHL, the Ska, uh, and got some time there in the KHL this year. And um, you know I, I think he played in uh, he came over and played in uh, they played it was called the Subway Series or something. And he and he caught some eyes there too. So uh, I think he's kind of exceeded expectations early on. Uh, and then I thought Yoki Haru especially was uh, was impressive, and you know I, I I saw someone who had some more of the advanced statistics about end you know exits and at least f- tracking the games and uh, his numbers for you know exits and entries and all those things were really high and uh, he's got a big shot and he moves the puck and um, you know I I think the Blackhawks lined up signing him here in the next you know month or two and uh, whether that you know not necessarily means he's in the NHL next year but I think they want to get that 
uh, entry level contract done and then give them an option next year if uh, you know if he can somehow play himself into camp. But um, I, I think I think he was more of the more impressive players there. And you know Finland had a pretty good defense and uh, you know him playing uh, you know on the, one of the top power play units and kind of his role was was impressive. And I you know obviously they were high on him when they drafted him so early and the fact he was right handed and and had some uh, you know puck moving offensive skills were all in his favor. But I, I think he's been uh, He's been good since they drafted him. Where he's been really good in Portland and the, the WHL, and then you know on this on on this stage uh, against his peers, he was really good too. So I, I think he's uh, he's shown a lot of promise so far. Um, another player too, and and, th- and thanks for that because yeah, I I had been rating a bunch on this stuff, but I know you were much closer than I was. Um, another player too was Tim Soderlund played for Sweden. I know he wasn't getting a ton of ice time, but from what I was reading from our correspondent over in. Europe, uh, he was actually, uh, you know, doing very well in the limited ice time that he's had. Did you get a chance to see him play at all? Yeah, yeah, I, I saw Sweden play, and I, uh, you know, I, I've seen him play a little bit uh, elsewhere. And hey, he's really fast, and uh, he, he has some offense upside. Uh, he may be just more of a bottom six guy, but you know, a guy that can play. Uh, you know, played a little PK for Sweden in the tournament, and. Um, you know, the fact that he is playing in the SHL and it's just, you know, second year doing and get a little bit more ice time. And, um, you know, yeah, I, I think, that, you know, the Blackhawks are really eyeing him. I know Mark Kelly always talks about that, you know, you, you went to go, he went to go watch him play. And, um, you know, if you didn't know who Tim Sorlin was, he, he'd always make a player or two that would always stand out. And, uh, you know, he, he plays hard and has uh, a lot of speed. So, um, you know, uh, with all these guys too, I, I think that the fact that you see some skills that stand out and they've, um, you know, they're so young that they do have some time. And uh, but you know, the fact he's playing in the SHL and, and holding his own, uh, where, where some of those draft picks in recent years, you know, Matthias Fromm, uh, this this past year, you know, he played in the Worlds last year, World Juniors last year, and this year they uh, just wasn't, you know, was a little struggling in the SHL, and he ended up, you know, dropping down a division and. Um, so I, I think it's always promising when the guys are getting consistent ice time and, and playing in the top division at such a young age because they're, they're playing up against a lot of men. So I, I think for uh, for Soderlund to do that and, you know, be included on Sweden's team and, and given some, uh, you know, at least some decent ice time at least and, you know, put in kind of a PK role. And, you know, obviously Sweden's had a lot of success too. So I, I think all those are uh, yeah, positive for the Blackhawks. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, it's you know not not often you get to see, you get to see all those uh, prospects all in one place. So it was yeah, uh, no, it's it's great. I've done the last two years, and it's uh, yeah. As long as it's uh, I, I guess as long as it's not in Europe, I I, I assume I'll continue to make the trip. But yeah, it's been great the last couple of years just to uh, be able to see a lot of those guys in uh, in one spot. Awesome, cool. Well, I think uh, we're 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 coming up on the end of this, but we got some questions. Uh, not as not, not the uh, the normal amount of questions. We're a little bit cut back on questions, so that's fine. Um, some of these we actually really talked about, but um, I'll, I'll we'll kind of hammer out these questions and then we'll wrap this up for for tonight. So the first is uh, from our boy Ken Kallenbach. Uh He says, "Does scratching Sharp open the door f- to possibly scratching Seabrook? Does his leadership keep that from ever happening? Is it possible there's an organizational directive that never happens for the public relations reasons?" I don't know. <laughs> I don't think, um, I think based on the fact that, you know, Sharp is not, you can't really compare Sharp right now to Seabrook right now. While they're both on the decline, Seabrook 
has more of a voice in that room. He's more of a leader, and it's been brought up many times how vocal of a leader he is, maybe more vocal than Jonathan Tays. So I don't think – I think they're going to do everything they can to keep him in that lineup, and I don't know that it necessarily has anything to do with public relations other than just Joe Quenville likes Brent Seabrook. Uh, what do you think, Scott? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I think uh, – yeah, I, I don't think Quenville – I think it was an extreme for Quinville to do what he did early in the year where he cut him off the power play and, he, and Seabrook's not on the power play now. I think that was a big step where, um, you know, for a while there were a lot of people and especially fans were, were calling for Seabrook and, uh, you know, calling out his, his struggles. And, and for a while there, Quinville, I think, wanted Seabrook to see if he can figure it out. Um, and eventually that kind of came to a head where uh, Quinville recognized that uh, things weren't going right and something had to change and, and he, and he you know, started limiting his minutes, um, you know, started playing a more third, you know, more of a third pairing role and facing, you know, more of the top six, you know, bottom six competition. Um, and then taking him off the power play. I mean, those were all, um, you know, and then you saw, you saw some positive results for that, you know, where C- Seabrook even mentioned that he felt like he had a little bit more jump and, uh, you know, his roles kind of increased again over time just because of injuries and some of the ways that they've rotated defense. And, but, you know, the fact that he's off to the power play again, um, I think that's significant because th- th- that hasn't happened often, uh, you know, throughout his career with the Blackhawks. So I, I think Quinville's, um, you know, figuring out ways to, to utilize him better and, and make sure that he's still effective and um, and there's still going to be plays like yesterday where you know he's going to make uh, make mistakes and I, and I think a lot of that defenseman group other than Keith you, and, and even Murphy lately you, you just you see some of those guys have um, you know just have some errors in fours and had a turnover yesterday and uh, you know Seabrook's body just doesn't do what uh, what it used to be able to do so I, I think you have to live with some of that but overall I think. Um, you know, for the last month and a half or so, and since they've kind of figured and changed his role, he's been better. And um, yeah, yeah he, he's not going to be what he once was. And obviously, he, he is. This is going to continue to happen as he gets older. Um, but I, I think Quinville's. Uh, yeah, he's never going to healthy scratch him. Um, but but he's figured out ways to uh, utilize him more efficiently and um, maybe cut back in certain areas. And I and I think that was a big step for Quinville because I think he was reluctant to do that because. Uh, Seabrook is a guy. I mean, obviously, this is someone in the Blackhawks. Uh, the fact that they gave him that contract, someone they, they foresee retiring as a Blackhawk. And, um, you know, I, I'd put him in that category where they, where they may want to retire his number just because when, when it's all said and done, how long he, he and Keith have been here. Uh, and, you know, they won at least three cups, and we'll, we'll see whatever more. But, um, you know, I, I know a lot of people hate that, black, that contract they gave to Seabrook, but I, I think organizationally they saw him as being – um, a core piece that they, they never want to get rid of. So I, I think there's a lot of uh, larger things at, at, at work here. But I, again, I just I think the fact that he has changed his minutes and, and put him in a different role was was a big step in for Coinville. Yeah, for sure. Um, John, you got anything you want to add to that, or are you good? No, I think I think that's that pretty much captures it. Awesome, cool. All right, well, our boy Brain Sprain, he said to follow uh, follow that question. Said, do you expect them to go 7D before scratching him? I'm going to say no on that. Uh, that's n- never been anything but a mess when they go seven defensemen, so I don't think they're going to try and uh, introduce that. Uh, he also said, is any is there any news on the Anissa Muff injury? Scotty, you kind of touched on that. You know, there's uh, some whisper that it may be a back thing. Uh, and he said, is it related to the injury from last year? And I don't, I don't think so, but... Uh, I don't know if there's anything you need to add on that, but uh, I think we touched on that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Let's see, John, this is probably going to be more towards you uh, from BK on the message boards. He said, are there any trades on the horizon? How does Q consistently get lines and pairings wrong when the solutions are so simple? Uh, the, the first part, John. Oh, man. Well, BK, my friend, with all due respect, I don't think the solutions are that simple. And I think that sort of goes with the first part of your question. You know, if, if it was, they wouldn't, they wouldn't really be needing to make a trade. And I, my personal belief is I, I think that it, it's going to take um, a minor miracle for all the pieces to fall into place and perfect chemistry to emerge from, from this group. I, I, I really still really feel like at, the, at minimum they need another, um, you know, two-way centerman who um, has some experience under his belt. I mean, if camp becomes that guy, great, but I just don't think the odds are, are very good of that happening. Um, I think he's fine for now as a, as sort of a fill in, but um, point being, so <clears throat> That said, I, I have not heard nearly as much this year versus years past in terms of trade activity and talks. That doesn't mean they aren't going on. Um, but I, I do think that um, Bowman's probably going to give it another couple of weeks, see how things go. And then, uh, you know, if the team is still kind of there on the bubble of the playoffs and, and there still seem to be some unresolved questions, then I think you'll start to, you'll start to see some more activity. And like I said, I think that, uh, I don't know. I mean, they they could, you know, go out after another defenseman, but I, I feel like they may feel that of those seven, eight guys they have, that they can cobble something together that's good enough. I mean, we have to remember that they won a cup in 2015 with basically four defensemen, yeah. um, you know, four for legitimate NHL defensemen anyway. And, and uh, I think that, uh, you know, what they, what they may, you know, are going to do is they're going to look at a center possibly and or a left wing and or a winger who can who can win some draws and, and play a two-way game because um, there are those guys out there too, like a Patrick Marlowe. Not saying they'd get him, but he's just an example of that type of player. So, um, you know, yeah, I think, I think you know, again, it's you got to see how the next couple of weeks are going to be really important in terms of how the, the team plays um, you know, what they're looking like in terms of their, their standings. And then we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, I think yeah. I, I, I could jump on the back of what Scotty said earlier, which is that, uh, and, and John, you've been alluding to for a while, which is, you know, I could see them, uh, moving a defenseman out to, to, to make a little bit of room to be able to bring some, some forward help in. Uh, I, I you know, I, just my gut feeling is I don't see them bringing any defensemen in because you're not going to get anything that's really much better than what we already have Agreed. with what you have to offer. So, right. yeah, Agreed. that's kind of my opinion on this. Uh, Cliff Deutsch asked, where does Anisimov slide in when he comes back? If the second line is humming, like I think it is now, uh, I, I kind of brought that up a little earlier, but yeah, Scotty, I don't know what you think. About a Nisa Yeah, I, I think, I mean, if the second line's clicking and, and it makes sense, Schmaltz is holding his own on faceoffs, I think um, I think you keep that line intact and, and you try to figure out a Nisa off on that third line again. And again, it goes back to what we talked about with Camp, too. Just uh, where, where does he figure in then, too? So I, I think uh, some of it will be, be dictated, a lot of it will be dictated by how the Blackhawks are playing at that point, where um, if they're rolling, then. Uh, it'll be a little bit harder for Quinver to figure out, but if they're, um, you know, as inconsistent as they've been, and um, you know, if Schmaltz isn't winning faceoffs or something's not working there, I think, um, you know, Nismo's proven that he's at least effective there, and 
um, you know, that he's probably better there than, you know, when he was at that third line early in the season, really wasn't producing much. So, um, yeah, I, I think, I think it'll be yeah how they're playing, but, uh, I, from what I see right now, I, I think Schmaltz looks really good at center and, um, and, and if you can have that center depth, um, but it, again, it comes down to face-offs too, where, where camp does kind of give that. So I'm, I'm kind of torn. I, I'm curious to see. You know, it might be a few weeks for an Isimov still, so there's time for all this to play out. But um, right. they'll obviously figure it out and find a spot for him back in the, I, I think, in the second or third line. Yeah, this could all be really clear next week. So, <laughs> you know, things 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 change with the Blackhawks. You know, almost game to game. So. Yeah, uh, there was one last question. I don't know if we want to take a stab at this one, but is why are the Blackhawks having such a hard time defending when the puck's below their goal line, especially our goal? Uh, if Is it the forwards aren't coming deep enough to help out the D-men? Uh, it seems like they're uh, leave the opponent by himself and make uh, to make a play as opposed to someone putting a body on the guy and taking time and space. Uh, that was from Ray, and it was an email. I don't know if anyone's got any insight on that. I feel like there's a time there's miscommunication with the defenseman where uh, who, who's guarding the net and who's going after that where you don't you certainly don't want guys too many guys below the line and and then leaving that space open and some of it's on the forwards too where um, they need to find their man and, and find a way to get in front of them where um, you can see that at times uh, and, and so you'll see with some of the younger guys that just um, not finding the guy and kind of roaming around and kind of losing losing who you, who you have and who your responsibility is. And um, so I, I think there's some different factors there, but yeah, I, I think that it's been an issue where uh, it's just, it's uh, they'll, they'll conversion on one guy and, and, and they'll leave another, another guy open. And um, it's uh, yeah, I think it's been an issue at times this year. So I, I think there's a couple of different things, but um, you know, it's, uh, it's, I think it comes with experience too. And, and, and certainly with defense and pairings too, I think uh, understanding, uh, understanding each other sometimes uh, plays in into two to kind of understand who, uh, you know, how a guy's going to play. And, um, you know, the fact they've had some different pairings, but uh, I think back to John's larger point too, is that you have a lot of young guys on here and, uh, you know, guys kind of learning, learning roles and kind of adapting to play in the NHL too. Yeah. I think it's both of those things. You know, it's, it's individual players getting more comfortable and, and, and ad- adapting to, to Quenville's expectations you know, as a former defenseman, he's, I think he's been notoriously hard on defensemen over the years in Chicago. And then, and then it's, it's just those repetitions and, and comfort level with their partners that comes from playing every night. And when he's changing guys out, my belief is, is that it, it's hard to achieve that consistency. I mean, I understand why he changes guys out and I wouldn't second guess him. He's certainly won a lot more games as a coach than I have. Um, but I mean, at the same time, um, you know, it'll be nice if they could kind of really settle in with a, a top six, you know, and then a regular number seven and, and um, um, just, you know, roll with those. And they seem to be getting closer to that. Um, you know, we'll see. Um, they had uh, Forsling and Ruta in there quite a bit. And now those guys are kind of on the outs a little bit or, or seem to be working their way back in at the very least. And um, but, you know, Murphy and Seabrook seem like a pair. Keith and either Osterley or Franson seems to be fine. Um, and Keith, like Keith, like I said, I, I, I was really impressed with how he played last night. So that, that was really good to see because, you know, if he's at the top of his game, that solves a lot of problems right there. So, right. All right. Well, that kind of wraps up our questions. Uh, I just want to throw one last one in there, Scotty. Um, 
you know, with with the way things have gone, we're about halfway through the season. Uh, you know, Crawford's hurt, maybe out for a considerable amount of time, which could be you know weeks um, or a month. Um, what is your outlook right now? I mean, I don't. I'm not going to hold you to it, but just I mean, your gut feeling on the outlook of this team going forward. And uh, you know, we've got a couple of months until the playoffs hit, but uh, you know, it's going to come up on us quickly. What do you? What do you? What do you think? I, I, don't, I don't think what we see out there is what we're going to see here in, in the next month. I, I think Bowman has the money. I think he's uh, he'll be motivated, especially to see how this plays out here in the next few weeks. Uh, you know, if they continue to, to struggle and be inconsistent, maybe a trade happens a little bit sooner than later. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think uh, he has kind of taken that way to see approach and he feels like the guys they have out there are, you know, as John said, that they uh, he thinks they can work. And and, and you saw some of that yesterday where maybe Henestrosa does click with Saad and Taves and, uh, you know, maybe Schmaltz continues to take that next step and, um, you know, I, I think they need to figure out how to get the brink at the puck more where, uh, you know, it's, it's when he's played with certain guys, he's, he's been able to shoot more than other times. And so I, I think that's key, too. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think at some point, you know, Bowman is going to pull the trigger on something and try to make this team better. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's it's, it's Corey Crawford's healthy. Um, I, I think they can push for a playoff spot. If not, I think it's, it's going to be a real real difficult to do where he's been so key to this team and even if they improve uh he's still you know he's still the guy that they're gonna rely on the most to to keep them in games and especially in tight games and in big games um so i think it comes down to Corey crawford's health but uh the rest of the lineup i I think bowman does make a move and improves this team in some way and i think he's still trying to figure out who um who and where they need to need to get better. So um, I, I think these next two weeks, next two, three weeks are important for the Blackhawks. You know, if they're successful, then, um, you know, the, the Bowen may be able to figure out an area from that. But if not, then uh, he's going to have to figure out a larger need and, and probably be even more aggressive. Uh, you know, they have uh, they have that first round pick and it's kind of a difficult situation where the Blackhawks need to continue to think about the future and building it. But uh, this window is short and, you know, to get anything decent, you're going to have to give up a high, high pick. And, um, you know, I, I think that's uh, something that Bowman's got to wrestle with too is, you know, how aggressive do you need to get with, uh, with trading draft picks and, you know, with them not having had, you know, first round picks that often. And um, I think that's uh, something they'll have to measure here in a few weeks and see what kind of the trade market's at, whether, you know, if they have to package, uh, prospects with a draft picker what's available out there how about you john you you want to add anything onto that no i mean yeah i think he you know you raise a good point scott about the he does have that cap money there and uh i think if they're reasonably within sniffing distance of a playoff spot there's you know there's both a sort of a hockey rationale but there's also sort of a um public psychology marketing rationale for him to to make some kind of a move to try to to try to get in the in the playoffs and and make a run and if the logic is as as um you know as i've heard it that they're kind of waiting for the the chemistry of this group to to gel then you know adding that piece because because that could happen at any time and it could happen you know in the first round of the playoffs um you know um like I said, I mean, I, I've been, I've gone back and forth on this team this year. I've gone from the depths of depression and and uh, cynicism to to thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe this this team really can do it. And uh, I mean, I saw a couple of things last night that were really encouraging, and that was, like I said before, Duncan Keith and Jonathan Taves 
playing like Duncan Keith and Jonathan Taves. And, and if those things start to happen with more consistency, then I think that, you know, that has a, a, a really positive effect, you know, in and of their play, but also the domino effect on the rest of the team and the less pressure on, on other players on the rest of the team too. So we're going to have to see, but yeah, I mean, if they're within sniffing distance, he's got to do something because it's hard to imagine this team as composed, just sort of organically becoming a, a team that, that comes out of the West for, for the Stanley cup. I just, I don't see it. So you're either in it to win it or you're not. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and we kind of brought this up a couple episodes ago, which is that uh, if you're going to get a guy in it, it's best to do it as soon as possible, because if you're having chemistry issues and you're, you're, you're still trying to find, you know, people, people, uh, you know, line combinations and stuff like that. You want to get that person in there and get them comfortable before the playoffs come around. You don't want to wait till that trade deadline when it's, you know, you're going to have to pay a premium and then you're going to have to get them in the lineup and, and worry about chemistry with, which has been a problem in the past with things like, you know, Andrew Vermette or I mean, uh, Antoine Vermette and stuff like that, where, you know, the chemistry wasn't there right at, right at first. And it took, you know, until the second round of the playoffs for Vermette to mm-hmm. actually, you know, get forced back into the lineup. So, you know, it's the, the time is short. Uh, so I agree with you, Scotty, on that. So that being said, I think uh, I think we've talked about the Blackhawks enough tonight, and uh, we've bothered Scotty. <laughs> let him get some rest. So, uh, uh, no, I appreciate. It. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, thank you, Scott. Yeah. So uh, you can find all of our stuff, all of our wonderful content on the-rank.com. Uh, Scotty, you can find all his content on the Athletic Chicago. Uh, you can find him on the Twitters uh, at by Scott Powers. Uh, make sure you read his stuff. He's got really great stuff. Goes deep dive on a lot of things. Uh, you got great access uh, to the team, so uh, everyone should go out and read Scotty's stuff. Uh, you can find all of our stuff, John and I, uh, on the popular social media at the Rink Offic- the Rink Official. Sorry, uh, in- say. yeah. And uh, you could also add the Rinkcast account, which is at the Rinkcast. Uh, you can find me at Puck and Hostel. Find John at Jekyll, J A E C K E L. Uh, don't forget to follow. Our sponsors, puckhockey.com. Uh, their Twitter account is at puckhockey. Uh, if you get a chance. P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y. Yep. P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y. Sorry. Thanks for that. Assist there, John. Uh, if you get a chance, please head over to iTunes, write and review us. There weren't any new reviews this week, but if you uh, review us, uh, we'll read it on the air. Um, I don't have any more plugs other than uh, next week, Justin Goldman from uh, the Goalie Guild. The big head honcho from over there is going to go deep dive on Blackhawks. He's been doing his studying on all the Blackhawks uh, depth goaltenders and everything. So he's going to have a lot to say. He's really excited about coming on with us and we're excited to have him. Uh, And uh, John, you got anything else you want to plug while we're, while we're here? No, well, one thing I want to plug is is tomorrow night um, in in the evening before the game, uh, come on over to the rink.com and, um, join in, join in with our game thread um, to talk uh, talk about the game in real time with Blackhawk fans from all over North America and possibly the world. Um, and uh, you can, if you're not already registered for the site, you can register then. It's pretty easy to do. Gatekeepers made it really easy. And um, join in. It, it was a blast, and uh, it's only going to get better. Yeah, our friend Patrick Judge joined in. He was there uh, commenting. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really com- it's coming along nicely. So. Uh, Scott, you got anything else you need to plug? Or we... No, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. This awesome, man. All right, cool. Scott, thank you. We know you've had uh, you've had a long trip, and uh, it was uh, 
pretty cool for you to join us, and uh, it was good talking to you. Hey, you too. Thanks. Yeah, we'd like to have you on again sometime, so uh, we'll make sure we uh, schedule back down the road. So uh, thanks. So everyone, thanks again for taking uh, time out of your busy schedules to download, listen, and support us. Until next week, see you on the rink.